Hey there, and thank you for tapping in to this episode. As it seems in any conversation I have for long enough unstructured, my mind will find a way to bring up ancient Rome. With no fail, my conversation with today's guests tracks to the same place. But this time, I walked away thinking of both then and now differently. In more ways than one, who we are as people, as a species, and even as a culture hasn't changed all that much. Examples like fashion, exploitation, spectacle, politics, profit. The magnitude of those have shifted quite a bit. Lives today are gratefully worth much more, and far better cared for. But one can stay up late at night reading Plutarch, as I have been, or the gossip rags of Scutonius, and find familiar stories, familiar intrigue. People that seem not just for a moment, but what requires deep effort and reminding that these stories and these people in them are murderers and and commit atrocities that any moment would horrify anyone today. Yet why we find those stories so compelling and familiar is that they have many of the same threads that drive people to atrocities that exist today. From political scandals through corporate greed to examples of spectacle, like the Super Bowl, and the human trafficking and prostitution that is most popular on the same day as it. So then perhaps us as a species have largely the same drivers as then. And a divider between us today and them then is the culture and means that we have today. From this conversation, though, I've been spending a lot of overwhelming moments considering just the magnitude of different factors that have played into our current reality as a species and how that existed then versus now. Everything I listed off earlier is examples of things that haven't changed over time, and many more I didn't mention. They all exist then as today. But the difference with today is the matrix of all other factors within each of those variables that only grows more and more, seemingly by the month. Like how much of the processed foods that are regularly available are terrible for your health. Or fragrances, plastics, receipt pieces of paper, carpets, or how products like paint or beds can give off volatile organic compounds that wreak havoc on our bodies. Those factors may have existed back then. Perhaps a bottle of perfume you'd get as an ancient Roman would indeed be poison. Hell, they did have quite the problem with lead. But the number of those factors that existed for them was far less than what is just existing now. And it's accelerating. And that's just one bit. There's also information technology, which is what most of us assume we're talking about when we just say tech. Even though tech is a much wider term that includes genetic engineering, another scary thing. Social media, all of the bits of users creating posts for algorithms to pick up and push to the most likely of people to get pissed off by it. Then there's the challenge today to understand who to trust how to identify a person or organization's motives. Or the fact that we're often lulled not to consider their motives. How can we trust the media companies to report the truth of a story when they have incentives to push a particular narrative? A narrative they try their best to obfuscate. But at the same time, understand how to challenge someone whose first principles seem sound. They talk confidently and explain these intricate concepts about things like health that to the unaware are complete bullshit. 
Somewhere therein is about where we find ourselves today, completely confused by the numerous factors of growing complexity while hurling through reality on a giant round rock that feels fixed and stable to us. How then can we contend with that present reality? Well, and this is perhaps where ancient wisdom really does come in hand, because it's about one of the oldest tricks from one of the oldest stories. The trick is to continue on, putting an effort again and again, or how Yusuf puts it in brilliantly simple terms, make progress. Life is the story of Sisyphus, but we're all doomed to a fate of rolling a rock up a hill all day long, only to have it slide back down after the sun sets, just to get up and do it again and again. But it's in the choosing of what we roll up the hill, and choosing to get up and do it again, that make all the difference. Choosing to look at it like a game, not as a milestone, as something to have a bit of fun and to keep score. And perhaps, by making progress and showing up, it can help us individually and collectively understand our present reality. Because to improve, we must understand. Otherwise, we're just bashing things with a hammer, hoping it works. My guess for this conversation that caused all this illuminating thought, I found from an incredibly insightful Twitter thread about the healthcare system in the UK. And it was a huge delight to talk to him live. Over the course of the conversation, we hit on how life is a series of Sisyphean efforts, who can we trust at this point online, the media and all its various forms, before ending on the existential threat of what in our environment is playing against our bodies. I promise you that's a lot more fun than it sounds. If you're looking for a knowledgeable way to get fit, and not just physically but mentally, to be more productive and feel great, I encourage you to check out Yusuf and his partner Johnny at propanefitness.com. You can find all about them there, as well as Yusuf's Twitter, where he's always posting something great. And with that, we can get into our conversation. Thank you for listening, and I hope this finds you well. Real quick before the episode begins, if you like what you hear, please tap that follow or subscribe button. You also can find this episode all episodes in the series, or check out our daily minute podcast by visiting us at bandwidth.productions. Certain banned topics or profanity or anything like that? No, no, no. Uh, Let the governor off. (laughs) Cool. I'm a pretty profane guy, so... uh... (laughs) <laughs> yeah i swear like fucking crazy so you're all good <laughs> um excellent yeah well thank Lovely. you again for taking the time um would you mind introducing yourself and then i'm gonna ask you a kickoff question and then we can just start chatting sure so my name is yusuf i co-run propane fitness which is a company that my business partner and i set up in 2008 initially just as a sounding board to get um, our ideas out on on paper and this was kind of back in the day where you could rank on the first page of google for like hypertrophy or something so it was a very different landscape that interest in physiology of metabolism primarily got got us into um going further down that role further um putting our ideas up on paper people started to inquire for coaching it sent me down a path of 
quitting my job as an as an investment or in an investment bank to go and train to be a doctor. So I've done that for the last few years. I've finished my hospital contract and now I'm full-time propane. The only kind of additional arm of that that's developed a bit more recently is that we now also help coaches and trainers do the same thing. So we help them with their systems to deliver their coaching online as well. Wow, that's amazing. I knew that you were a doctor because of a Twitter thread that I'll get into in a second of how I came across you. Um, I didn't realize that you went to be a doctor because of the fitness work you're doing, which is amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, it's kind of come gone full circle. I was I was wondering how you how you came across me, but yeah, that that thread went a bit unexpectedly viral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always I, the throwaway uh, stuff that seems to pick up, doesn't it? It's true. Yeah, it's I always I, I look at life as a series of happy accidents. That's that's where the only way it makes sense to me looking backwards is that everything is just a happy accident. Um, I do want to get into that, but something that I ask every guest when they first join the podcast um, is I ask everyone the same question, which is, what do you like to do that makes you happy? Oh, make progress. And that's in any in any domain. And that's why I feel like if you can choose to play as many games as possible, that you enjoy and that you can you can make progress in there's a lot of joy to be had in that um i also think that you can kind of hack that by picking things that you are crap at and getting the first 80 percent of the you know the noob gains where it's most satisfying the 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 learning curve is highest and then it's up to you if you want to become elite level and grind out an extra couple of basis points on each <laughs> on each bit of progress or uh, rotate and periodize and explore everything else that life has to offer man i love that answer for so many things uh my twitter handle is actually it's a, it's a handle on everything like github or, or any account is uh, trying to be good and the whole nice. reason that i have that is the exact pretty similar ethos to what you're saying which is essentially like i just want to make progress i'm just trying life is an life is an effort it's not like a series of milestones or anything like that. It's actually just a series of constantly doing Sisyphean efforts in different various ways. A hundred percent. The milestones are often empty, aren't they? Once you get there, you're like, oh, well, that's a bit underwhelming. Oh, well, time to move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. Or you just end up partying too hard at that plateau you're at and never get to a next one, which is which is also yeah. something that people fall into, like you know, resting on your laurels, if you will. Um, yeah, it, it's... It's also, I like how you put that it's a game because that's something that I try to get people that are, so I do consulting. That's like what I do in my day job uh, for like software development and like everything from like AI systems, any crazy thing you could need an assassin to build is what I'll do. Um, nice. And uh, something that I try to get people uh, both that I work with and, and they're kind of coming up in the industry and consulting and then everything is I try to get them to look at it like a game. Uh, like pure, like, you know, like game theory, John Nash kind of way, uh, which sometimes goes a little bit over people's heads. Uh, but, you know, hey, if you could look at everything as just a series of actors and, you know, motives and look at it more as a playful means of something, you're going to end up being happier and achieve more um, and probably spot more things. So I really appreciate that what, what you're saying with that. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Like if 
then you can pick which games you want to play. You define the parameters. You do it until it's not enjoyable for you anymore, and then you move on. Um, you know, I think with there's also a second meaning in your username there of trying to be good that probably most of the the happiness can be squeezed out of, let's say, the first 80% or the first 60% of learning a skill, of getting good. Going from good to elite has a real trade-off between happiness and progress. Yeah, you hit on it right away. No, yeah, totally. I, I uh, reluctantly call myself a polymath. I only reluctantly do it because usually I've, I've noticed it comes with a, ba- a lot of baggage of people thinking I'm arrogant or self-aggrandizing. Um, and it's like, no, 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 I just try to get really good at something and then I move on. Um, and I do that with a lot of things. So it just happens to mean that I have a lot of interests that I'm good at uh, <laughs> and pretty, you know, pretty close. But um, the, the thing with like getting to be the elite level and this is actually an analogy that I, I try to use, and it's it's like a golf pro. So like somebody who's a golf pro that's at a country club that's meant to teach the members of the country club and be their like professional is the best person on that golf course, and everyone is like miles worse than they are, and it's like oh my god. Um, and to you know members, casual members of the country club, the difference between that guy and you know Tiger Woods seems to be nominal. But to the golf pro, he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's enormous. He's like, the yeah. difference between me and an actual professional is the reason why I'm here in this country club versus on the senior tour. Um, and that's something from like an outside perspective gets really hard to see unless you can build the muscle to being like, no, no, I'm going to learn a bunch of things. I'm going to learn this so that what I'm learning is the difference between good and elite. And that's going to give me a perspective enough to be able to bring in anywhere else in life. Um, you know, so the, the aim shouldn't be necessarily to become elite through your actions and your discipline. You could do that, but really just to understand the levels of something is almost more important. Yeah, for sure. It's getting to basic proficiency with something, getting over that Mount stupid of the Dunning Kruger curve mm-hmm. and getting to the point where you can see some, because most people, and for, if you, if you've managed to not, um, hear of, of the Dunning Kruger effect for anyone listening, it's the idea that if you drive past a golf course and your analogy and you see a couple of people holding stakes and just swinging at a ball and you think, ah, oh, I could do that. It doesn't look too hard. And then you go and give it a go and you're like, whoa, okay, this is so much harder than I thought. That's getting past Mount Stupid. And then you get a bit better and then you go into the valley of despair where you're like, oh, actually, this is so much more difficult than I thought that there's no way I'm going to be able to get better. And then you get better and better, but you're comparing yourself to the elites and you realize how far you've got to come. And I suppose that's the inflection point where you're saying, okay, now it's time to either say, right, I've got a real realistic assessment now of how difficult golf actually is. I can continue and become a good golfer and accept the costs that are associated with that. Or I can say, oh, you know what? I'm happy with my level of crapness in golf and I'm going to move on. Yeah, exactly. And in, in uh, you know, like the 80% of the juice and 20% of the squeeze is like a phrase a lot of Americans say, uh, and it's the same oh, thing. Nice. And, uh, you know, it, there's, uh, see, I feel like there's so much that life has to offer. And the more that you learn something, the more, the, the less that you know. It's like the Socrates quote, like, what, what is wisdom? And he goes, all I know is that I know nothing. Um, and it, it's something <laughs> that in today's world, I feel like is obvious but not talked about a lot. And I like to call out the obvious a lot. Yeah. I very much resonate with that 
with so my medical training i feel like all it's done is just attune my bullshit filter i don't feel like i'm particularly knowledgeable on human physiology or anything any more than it's just taught me to be able to catch the the ridiculous stupid claims and especially on twitter especially you see people that have got the most confidence with the least um basis for their claims and it drives me nuts so i've just i've learned eventually that it's not accepting defeat to just block these people because they're so stuck in their own echo chamber that you've got to just be like do you know what it's not worth my blood pressure i'm here to promote myself i'm here to offer some value to people i'm not going to get involved in the drama totally yeah it's funny how much confidence and arrogance get confused right yeah it's like you're just being super arrogant man you don't know what you're talking about uh versus like oh wow you actually know what you're talking about but to once again that you know 20 80 20 percent like some people just don't have a, a ability to spot the difference um which is also funny and that's where people get exploited yes 100 percent. yeah yeah when it comes to medical claims things that um really will have a a consequence if they are ignored then you you carry a responsibility with that um when there's especially when it comes to things which are irreversible cancer treatments saying to avoid um avoid chemotherapy i saw one the other day you know my my twitter algorithm obviously keeps liking to prod me but someone advising against taking chemotherapy for uh, pituitary cancer because the body can heal itself with a carnivore diet and you're like oh my god where to begin like i wish it was that simple <laughs> but it's not no totally yeah and okay so just to hang it on that is like the the well we're just such an, an interesting time because how anybody could talk and anybody could have a say right and like it's mm -hmm. so murky because i've met so many doctors in my life in person and online that i hear them talk and i'm just like oh my god dude like i haven't heard you talk about lifestyle once and it's like i understand everything you're saying and what you're saying is true to an extent but it's like oh come on like you're, this person hasn't moved in forever they, they, they don't eat very properly, mm -hmm. right? Like not everything can be solved with a pill, right? Which is one end of the spectrum. And then even another end of the spectrum who's like, you don't have any medical training, but you're an incredibly intelligent individual and incredibly well-read. And you, you, even if I don't know what you're, you're talking about completely, you seem like you know what you're talking about completely. Um, and in between that spectrum, you have these people who are both trained in their specific disciplines and self-taught people who can end up becoming up with like novel things like you know, like a carnivore diet for certain autoimmune disorders seems to have some promise. Seems It seems to have some promise, right? But through that, you have people who are grifters who sometimes are just good at branding and good at playing social media algorithms. And all of a sudden, and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, like who the hell can I trust at any point? What's something that's interesting versus something that's valid? That's a very holistic view of the whole thing. And I think this is what we need and it's what we're deficient in, which is an integration of those two sides of it because yes absolutely preventative medicine is the future and it's required to but the problem is at the point of care many doctors are faced with a patient who either has gone beyond the point of preventative medicine being helpful or they are unwilling or there's a financial um, incentive particularly in the u.s as you say or there's um it, they've got a seven minute appointment in a in a rammed clinic um, 
like in the UK where they haven't really got the resource or the time or the, even the referral pathway to pass somebody on to the appropriate thing. And so, and so maybe a combination of those factors, patient being like, oh yeah, diets, quit smoking, stop drinking, whatever. Okay. I'm not interested because really the people who are, who are going to pursue a healthy lifestyle, they've already done it. They don't need the doctor to tell them. So we kind of end up in this like chasm where you've got a population of people that you're really trying to like, that need that information the most, they need that advice the most, but there's no referral pathway. There's no willingness from them. And there's maybe a distrust of the medical system overall. So how do you, how do you integrate the two? In my opinion, it's, we need a referral pathway to um, coaches and trainers and all of this kind of, we've got a health industry and we've got a medical sector and we need to find a way to integrate the two um, currently doesn't exist. And the world is crying out for it. You actually brought it exactly where I was going to take it, which is that coaching and, and some type of like, I mean, almost like an assistant in some means is honestly like what I think it is. Cause, um, I have this saying that I, I like to push, uh, which is that the truth lies in paradox. So like, what is truth? I think once you get to a point where something is paradoxical, um, that's actually what is capital T true. Um, so like we are in a state where, you know, systems that are set up, these healthcare systems aren't really able to completely care for everything that somebody needs because what they're selecting for is events as opposed to selecting for ongoing, continual, integrated, right? And then you have competing Yeah, absolutely. You have competing things outside the systems, which are like food companies and pharmaceuticals. I'll, I'll at least speak from the U.S. perspective because I know that best, like our food that's advertised and pushed is completely unhealthy. Um, even the stuff that's branded as healthy, like impossible burgers is not at all healthy. Um, and sugar is an absolutely everything. And no one talks about that. Like added chemicals are an absolutely everything. And nobody talks about that. Um, I mean, it, it's it, the branding campaigns. I'm just saying like, you know, how terrible food dyes are is hilarious because of how much people in America roll your eyes and you're like, no, dude, this is legitimately terrible stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, mental health is something that seems to wait until there's an event just like physical health mm -hmm. but the feedback between the two is actually enormous so having something that's like a, a coach or an assistant in some way assistant you know it sounds demeaning but it's not what i mean like somebody that's going to assist you and help you get along and, and move because I, I i truly believe that the next hundred years let's just say that is going to be lifestyle is going to be the biggest indicator of health happiness of, of ability to to navigate in this crazy chaotic world that's going to get wilder yeah there's a couple of things you touched on there so the mental health i think the mental and physical health piece are are, are one they obviously interact I, I don't think it's too woo woo to say that there is a mind-body connection obviously it's the Cartesian model of medicine that has caused us to separate mind from body for the sake of categorization. But re realistically, we're all part of the same unit. It's just a concept that mind is is different to the body. And the mind is housed in the body as well. So it's it, it physically is something which is related. Now, there is something called the ACE index, which is the Adverse Childhood Experience Index. And this relates to how many traumatic child childhood events that someone has experienced and there's a really strong correlation between that and levels of diabetes chronic liver disease alcoholism copd smoking self-harm behavior like the really severe and quite um difficult to unpick pathology as an adult and as you say when once you have the diagnosis of that once there's the onset of that disease 
that's treated as an event where perhaps not smoking 20 years earlier or having five years of psychotherapy or, or dealing with stuff at the root would have been the only way to to solve it and we don't have a resourced system or even the political incentives to to follow through with that because there's no continuity so we end up with this kind of um gap where everyone that you know people are kind of stuck which is a shame yeah i, I really appreciate that you brought that up actually because that's something that i think should be talked about more like the adverse uh, childhood events um my wife actually introduced it to me and because the reason she did is she was like i was reading this over and i think you have all of these and i was she was like she's like i think you should take this and i was reading through it and i like it caused me uh to really look back and be like oh my god so somebody's childhood events reverberates through all of their life right in a way that i can see um through like having to come overcome some things right um but when i look left and right at my siblings it's like it's it's stark to see like oh shit like i can see how all of this ripples through and it's something that's so uncomfortable to most people bring up so it's taboo to an extent to be like events that happened in childhood from neglect or poor parenting or just something that happened that wasn't talked about or you know worked through and how they can happen and then if that further increases the chasm if no one yes. wants to talk about it you know there's such a high high proportion of people who are obese have been sexually abused as a child no one wants to talk about that a really high proportion of people with alcoholism as a um as an adult they you know the things like have you seen your did you ever see your dad hit your mom did you ever um have a relative touch you inappropriately all these kind of questions that map onto coping mechanisms and behaviors and so people rag on obese people people blame obese people as if it's a a lack of willpower or as if it's laziness and it completely misses the fact that this is a this is a, a recent thing it's not okay what well, the way i would the way i would illustrate it you've got me on my hobby horse now john but <laughs> the way i would illustrate this is um there's a few things in society that we love to throw rocks at we blame people who are obese we we blame pedophiles because we say that oh we're morally superior and they're not because we're not doing that stuff and it misses part of it that like because if you're going to take that line of reasoning then you're assuming that because you're morally superior you have the same urges and the same and if you were left to your own devices without self-censorship that you would be doing those same things that's not the case so clearly something is different somewhat they're having to fight something within them that is not present in us so we need to look at what what's the root of that what's caused that to happen and just treat people with a little bit more compassion and understanding that maybe the reason they're acting in that way is because of traumatic events that have happened to them and they need the appropriate support and treatment yeah, empathy empathy is everything right and and a lot of things that i think about is like what do we actually care about and what do we want to invest in as a society and if we like i think about this a lot with uh okay prison system in america is a great example the majority of people who are long time in prison are illiterate so it's like okay so like that and that yeah. usually has to do with poor upbringings poor environments they were you know raised in as children which once again the a score comes in um 
you know, the schooling, they were in a school, good school district, and most likely, even if they were in a good school district, they probably didn't get the schooling they, they did because they didn't have proper nutrition or sleep or, or, or all, any number of things, right? Um, and the odds are completely stacked exactly. against them, aren't they? Like, how do you expect them to not end up in prison if that's if that's the, the right? Cards and instead of saying, "Hey, like, what happened to you? What's your story? Can we sit down and can we just like, can I write?" you know, a pseudo obituary style story of what where you did to get to where you are now. And can we can we use that as a basis to go backwards? And then can we revisit it? Because there's some things you're probably not going to be honest with yourself, let alone me, about things that are affecting you. You may not even be aware of it. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I think of I think of uh lifestyle as a series of habits. John Dewey, the philosopher, has a really great series on this, uh human nature and conduct. He has like a whole section about habits and it's amazing. Um and he talks about how habits both um, are necessary to creativity and also destroy your creativity. And what he means by that is that you end up getting lumped into mm-hmm. these things that happen again and again, and you stop seeing them as things that you do habitually. Um, and one of them may be just poor eating habits. You know what I mean? Like, I, dude, I suffer actually from poor eating habits. I've done a lot to stop that, but I will occasionally just like, I'm so stressed out. I don't do this anymore, but I would be so stressed out. All of a sudden just start eating. And then before I'm like, you know, like three handfuls of trail mix into something, I'm like, what did I just do? Like, I was going to go downstairs to do something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and it's that kind of programming. Oh, and yeah, and that's inherited from our parents or from our culture. And I mean, you know, I, I, I don't want to rag on, on your country. I'd love to I'd love to live in the States, but there are a few things which scare me. Some of them you've mentioned, like the the way that pharmaceuticals <laughs> are advertised, the way that healthcare system works and the food engineering oh my god like when i i went to new york for a couple of weeks and i i gained a bit of weight normally my weight is super stable within 100 grams on average That's um, super stable you know year to year even and yeah i gained weight while i was there and because all oh, the food is incredible the portion sizes are <laughs> yeah, insulting yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like everything's got yep. syrup with it and stuff and you're like that start of, I don't know what it is, something like the average person gains eight pounds when they, on a two week trip to America. Um, I can believe that now because everything's just so plus sized. Plus that everything's so palatable. So it's got that optimal combination of salted caramel and butter and fat and Which is really chemicals. So. Because most of it's not real. Yeah, yeah. Just to fire up you, burn out your dopamine receptors. So. Of course, you combine that with the the prison system and the um, the malnutrition of the the pregnant mothers, and that drops the IQ of the of the child who's gonna you know all these things and the plastic exposure. Yes, it's stacking the odds against someone, and then when they turn out a certain way, we act surprised and we throw rocks at them and we judge yeah. them. No, it's 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 a reflection of society. Like Voltaire said, that you can judge a society by how by how they treat their prisoners. Um, and I think you could say you can use that same thing to like mm-hmm. anyone of you know disparate means. Um, I think what's funny about America is that it once again is a truthful paradox, because if you come to America and you eat everything that's like presented to you, it's gonna be like terrible food quality, and it's gonna be loaded with sugar and loaded with chemicals that make it taste like you know, like Doritos is a great example. Like it's not really nacho stuff; it just tastes like nacho. It's genetically engineered, to, you know, to make a what what even is no cool original? <laughs> yeah. But the thing that's crazy though is mm. because it's because the states is just so massive. Honestly, is that there's so many niches. And the interesting thing about the internet that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough is that the niches are growing and they're becoming connected even outside of physical distances. So like 
where I live in the Midwest, um, you just have to work a little bit harder. But I can I get like grass fed beef from a farm that's down the street from me. You know, I can drink raw milk and and I don't like go out to eat very often is is the paradox of it. You know what I mean? I have to work a little bit harder, but all of it is uh, cool. is really more accessible than in some places because there's just more distances to be able to create these little pockets of niches. And then with the internet, you can access them a lot easier. Interesting. So it's available, but as you said, you've got to kind of override your default mode, which many people, if they weren't as introspective as you, they have a hard time. Wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're imprisoned by their habits. They don't even realize that there are options outside of what they've been doing. The habits in like Plato's cave, right? Because if you're just staring at the pictures on the wall, what they're going to show you is the burgers and the whoppers and mm. you know what I mean? All that kind of crazy stuff. But if you start seeking it for yourself versus seeing the pictures that are played in front of you, um, it's all of a sudden like you're stepping into another world and there's just a whole, like I didn't expect that where I live in the Midwest, there'd be like all kinds of raw dairy farms and grass-fed beef and like pasture-raised pork and like a, a community of people that aren't just eating that, but are like really into that and really into like restoration agriculture which or re regenerative agriculture where you're like taking this monocrop agriculture fields and you're turning it into you know, multi-crop, a lot of native species, a lot of native um, plants, and you're actually restoring the store, the soil as opposed to using chemical agriculture. And you wouldn't notice that, but if you look around, you'll see it's it's everywhere. Very cool that there are people taking that initiative. I just hope that someone comes along and um, gives them a leg up with the marketing to match that of the, uh, the status quo. Yeah, you know, I think... I think that it, the internet's fracturizing everybody more. And I think what's going to be interesting is I think the next 10 years is we're going to see the mainstream is no longer the majority anymore, but it's going to fight like hell to make it seem like it is. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's going to, it's going to become a bit of a shell. Like, so I was looking at uh, someone, some YouTuber who has 2 million subscribers and then I looked, I was like, hang on, how many, like, what is that? How many is 2 million compared to like Sky News? I looked up Sky News, like 1.1 million, something like that. I'm like, wow. So this guy, this one dude has more distribution than Sky News. And yet there's still this impression. Like we have it, we have a feeling that like, oh, but you know, Sky News, that's, they're, they're a big legit um, organization and they, they must know what's up. But like, you know, maybe, maybe that's true, but it's, it's you're right the the balance is really shifting now and it in quite unpredictable ways yeah look at the engagement because the engagement of that two million subscriber individual is probably much higher like i do that with the new york times a lot the new york times are like you know that's like the new york times the paper of record as they you know have been lauded to be but it, you know they'll tweet something out and i'll maybe get like four retweets but some you know somebody <laughs> else that's like a you know a subs you know a, a individual with maybe 1 million versus I think the New York times has like 20 million YouTube's or 20 million Twitter subscribers or something ridiculous. And they'll have way more engagement. So they've kind of, they're resting on their, their laurels or it's just kind of, it's going to crumble. It's like, um, Lester Levinson described once you clear out the emotional drivers behind a, an old habit, the, the habit crumbles away like old rope, like it maintains its shape. But then when it's challenged, it, it falls away like it's like burnt, burnt rope. Um, and I guess it's maybe what some of these institutions will do. 
they still maintain their shape and if you look at them they seem like they're still running but um really they have less and less grasp over people and i guess the engagement is the leading indicator of that as you say that's a really great quote too i like that both for the ace stuff we were talking about a few minutes ago and this institutional rot as well um it's interesting i I think i think that that's definitely true and i think we're kind of in a balance shift of what people trust right like i think people are starting to fractionize into trusting you know their select group of individuals over another select group of individuals and the institutions are kind of left holding the bag and uh really i mean the, the craziest thing to me is uh how often one news publication will publish a news story and almost the exact same title appear in like across the board and it's even internationally now too because i'll see it pop up with like the new york times the new york post like fox news even and then i'll see it with sky news and the bbc uh it's it's interesting did you ever see that video someone edited together artfully of loads of different news stations i think local and national and they were saying the story but it was like the same line on the teleprompter across all the different you know the one i'm talking about i do yeah i do yeah i found it gave me chills actually it was quite a haunting thing to see yeah i've been running like a news uh aggregator since 2017 i've just had it like running and collecting all these news stories um and the the couple things from like you know the thousands of articles that i've been collecting over the the past years the couple things that the first things that has shocked me was how often the same title was repeated almost word for word across different news sources and then how quick it was published like i'm talking about like and and it's like not even the same ownership right like my control at the beginning was fox news because i was like okay like new york times posts something fox news is going to be opposite it should be right wasn't Mm -hmm. the case i was really surprised about that um and it was within like moments like sometimes you know something with trump would get announced and then within moments all of them would would post the exact same article and it would be like 800 words and i'm like how did you all have 800 (laughs) words queued up and ready to fire you know what i mean so from what i've heard they um they write multiple versions of say if there's like a binary outcome or something then they'll just be ready to hit post do you think i mean i I guess it's tinfoil hat time but do, do you think this is a coordinated thing like is there a central distributor is it just like are they all just kind of competing for attention and profits and there's no kind of wider intentionality behind it all what do you think's happening are you familiar with manufacturing consent noam chomsky's manufacturing consent no it's a great book um his central thesis of it um is that there's five great filters is what he talks about of how news gets to you it's filtered through these different various uh um, mechanisms if you will and i won't go into all of them um and i think that what he says is extremely valid and i think the biggest thing that's valid is in america uh, michael malice puts this the best and i'll just kind of like succinctly put him before i start giving my own thoughts um which is he says you know in america we're taught that there's a such thing as yellow journalism so yellow journalism was like around the 1900s um, and we're taught that this term was these newspapers are out for themselves um, and they were trying to lie and dissuade to be able to push an agenda um, and one of the things they tried to push was like manifest destiny that the united states should own the entire continent of north america from the east coast to the west coast and everything in between 
Um, then it was like, uh, we should get into World War One, um, And it was like stoking the coals because Americans on the whole didn't want to get into World War One um, until there was like a sinking of the Lusitania. And it was like, remember the Lusitania? And we were told these stories as if they're like archives of how things used to be. So we're told like the newspapers used to lie. And then there was a record scratch and it's you're supposed to now uh, trust okay. them. Right. But the thing is, is that they always lied. And the inter- best thing for manufacturing consent, that book, is two things. One is it gives you an Im- immense amount of examples of how it never changed, um, specifically around, like, the chemical industry um, and the war in Vietnam and the uh, sand- war against the Sandinistas in the 80s. Great examples of uh, how, essentially, the media was, was lying and doing this yellow journalism still. Um then he starts talking about like essentially that the system of media is set up in such a way so that people who are in their journalist roles don't need to be told don't write that story they just know not to write it but not even from a perspective of i shouldn't write it my editor will be mad at me it's we all ideologically think the same thing so i wouldn't even think to write the article right so some of it is like the robust way to to do it isn't it yes it is it's more grassroots right so it's partially you're going to hire people that are from a certain demographic and background and they think like you think or they think like how you want the 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 continuation of the trend to think Um, and i say that because of like what we're seeing in the new york times now right so i think that's a big part of it is you you select the people that think similarly to you um you also have the same owners. So I think the capital that owns a newspaper or owns a media company uh, is often tied with the interests of other corporations. So editors will come in and say things like, hey, like you can't write that because Rupert Murdoch also owns this um, or Jeff Bezos also owns this um, in today's example, right? Um, so I think that's part of it too. Uh, there's also the advertisers. So you'll see this with brought to you by Pfizer right? Like, what are we going to, how are we going to, you know, go against um, our advertiser saying, you know, maybe their trial data isn't the, the best and maybe we should be questioning it while also the next commercial is brought to you by the same people. Like, you're not going to do that, mm-hmm. right? That'd be outrageous, right? Um, so I think those things all happen. And I think that those filters help make it so we wouldn't think to run a story against the status quo. The last part of it is also access so we saw this with Jeffrey Epstein and Prince Andrew, where, you know, uh, I can't remember her name. I think her name is Beale. Her last name is Beale. But there was the, the leaked video of her saying, like, we had everything on him. We had interviews. We had, you know, everything tying Prince Andrew and uh, Jeffrey Epstein together. But they wouldn't let us run it. And they wouldn't let us run it because the royal family said they wouldn't give us access to babies and things like that, right, of the royal oh, family. Interesting. So, but that happens at a larger scale. So, like, if I'm doing a uh, story on Raytheon and the amount of money that they're making off of the war in Ukraine, right, uh, is my editor going to let me run that if the Department of Defense isn't going to give us access the next time that there's some kind of press conference and they're not going to let us in the room as retaliation for that? Because they can do that, right? Um, or maybe they're not going to give us the next scoop. So we're going to get something, you know, in the up until the 90s before social media, it was like I might have a week that I get like a story leaked to me ahead of everybody. Now it's like half a day, but that half a day could be everything. Cause then everyone's citing your story as opposed to, 
you know, the next person's story. So I think all of those factors are the legacy things at play. I think currently we also have this thing called the Trusted News Initiative, which is saying like these are the ways we can talk about certain issues and the points we want to have it said. So I think that legacy, it's you think about the rules of the game, which is we want to keep getting access to these people. Um, these people pay our bills. Uh, these people own and play golf with these other people. We got to keep everybody happy. And then in the new world, we also have ideology, which is somehow creeped in. Um, and it's, you know, uh, become in the fact, you know, the very fabric of um, political institutions and then the news that is tied to them, which to me is like wacky. But saying that out loud, usually people don't give you the time to say that it's more just like what do you mean you're against this or you're for that like how, what how how <laughs> yeah I've, I've added that to my my list my reading list that sounds that sounds great i've i've had a couple of people recommend chomsky to me and i've never never fully got around to it the other thing you mentioned about um the the access i don't know if you saw you know who jimmy savile is i think so it sounds familiar so he is a he was some kind of um, celebrity, well-connected guy who was shown after his death to be involved in lot, you know, repeated um, sex scandals and um, assaulting people. But yeah, as you say, the signs were all there, and there was even like overt breaking the fourth wall, kind of not even hints, like things that he would say where you're like, "Ooh, was that a joke?" It seemed a bit <laughs> off-color, and that, and and yet afterwards you're like how did this not get picked up like people were constantly ringing the alarm bells people were so there's a there's a documentary by louis theroux who is um great sort of british journalist who who goes into some of these topics and he went to stay with jimmy savile for a while and and had a chat with him and it's really ominous it's a very uncomfortable watch um if you get a chance it it's definitely worth worth watching but it's uh, it's pretty like squeaky bum yeah, it's. I think about that with Bill Cosby, like Bill Cosby. Oh yeah, very similar. Very similar. Hiding like, in plain sight. Yeah, and like, there's like a joke in Thirty Rock that was written by Hannibal, who's the comic that made that whole thing happen, and it was written like ten years earlier, where like Tracy Morgan's character like says they tell him Bill Cosby's on the fo- on the line, and he runs over and picks up the phone and starts screaming him out and saying like I'll never forget what you did to my you know uh, my aunt she was a cocktail waitress. And it's calling out the exact thing that he was doing on television. And apparently it's like this known secret, um, but he's, he's Bill Cosby, you know, like we can't like, so, he's America's dad. Man, it's exactly, exactly the same story with, with Jimmy Savile. So you'll, you'll definitely see the, the parallels with it. Yeah. I'm gonna have to check that out. I, I find things that hide in plates. Like, like I said, the obvious, I find the obvious to be so important. Um, because so many things get hidden in plain sight because that's it's a, the easiest place to do it which it, once again it's paradoxical yeah true well I, I suppose another paradox which um i'm not very well read on but um i saw a, a comedy sketch which kind of hi- highlights this pretty well is the um the left and right on the spectrum basically being a circle um and the the very end points that they meet and it was someone kind of playing on that fact and he had these two guys that were um, one was meant to be the left and one was meant to be the right and they were, they were arguing. And then every time they argued, they'd come to the same conclusion and end up saying the same sentence together. So that, you know, they'd end up with like 
one's talking about abortion the other one and they end up like, yeah well yeah because my body my choice right and then it's like oh wait you were talking about vaccines i was talking about abortion and, then, <laughs> and it's um they were like yeah we, we shouldn't have an old white man as president especially not joe biden oh wait and it it's the way it's executed is really really well done so you're like oh yeah it does just touch tips at the end please send that to me yeah because i say i say that all the i will time. do i was actually just talking to a neighbor of mine where i was like you know uh there's like people that i know that live in like boulder colorado and they're like boulder colorado is known as being like a hippie place so it's a lot of people who are like super into yoga extremely fit like don't eat any processed foods you know don't eat sugar like that kind of like stereotypical people and then you have people who are like the stereotypical down south america where it's like they're very overweight they eat a lot of fried food uh and you know they they don't really care about what their appearance or body is right and somehow both mm -hmm. of them agree 100 percent on the vaccine is you know the freedom issues really which, which is really what it is and somehow the two of them can't meet together to see that because it's the, yeah. the chasm of things between then it's almost like there's there's a summation of my ideas and the summation of my ideas is greater than the individual sum of them right and and that's where i feel like we are as a idea in a zeitgeist yeah and i think um i i mean i was certainly surprised by the the strength of the reaction to the whole the whole vaccine thing um i wrote a thread on the covid vaccine which um was you know just from a clinical perspective saying like here's what we know so far here's how here's the mechanism of action it wasn't politicized it went semi-viral people you know got a lot of um, angry comments from people about it um but i was surprised i just i was a bit surprised as to like whoa you know from because most most doctors that you speak to they're kind of like oh well you know like they've got a clinical opinion on it they might say oh well i don't really think it's indicated or i don't really or i think it's it's fine but we need to maybe iterate on the next version or whatever it is but it's still very much within the realm of this is a discussion around the relative merits of a treatment intervention rather than this is something which is like core to my identity you yeah. know and seeing that um that shift was so strange and i could never get my head around it until i saw uh Z Dog md who's a um he is a internal medic um in the states who i mean now he's doing like four hours of meditation a day like he's he's deep down the the rabbit hole he sees things from a very kind of wide perspective as well and, and he he was talking about the the jonathan heights um six moral taste buds and how when people see things through those lenses it starts to make sense and i guess it kind of explains this this dichotomy that you mentioned there of um the the colorado kind of yoga bunnies and the deep south people and they're they're both um meeting in the middle but they're maybe seeing it through different lenses and i've got i've got them here so we've got the six taste buds of care versus harm so i'm gonna take the risk because i don't want to harm other people or you know i'm gonna wear a mask because whatever um because i don't want other people to be impacted by that compared to the fairness versus cheating well oh he's not wearing a mask so why should i there's the loyalty versus betrayal there's um you know well um fauci's done a number on us and so we shouldn't trust him and similarly there's authority versus subversion like you know who are you to tell me what to do sanctity versus degradation which is the my body my choice idea and then there's the liberty versus oppression and depending on where your relative taste bud is and where your kind of preference is that's what will dictate your opinion on it so i guess 
that starts to put things into place a little bit more and then it, it starts to make sense as to why people feel so strongly about it because i you know at least in the uk we're so sarcastic and tired and um just don't take authority seriously like you've seen our our prime minister like no one no one takes me seriously and so the, the the British attitude to all of this kind of stuff is very much like the naughty kids at the back of the class that are flicking spitballs at the teacher. Like we we haven't we no one's been able to kind of have a strong enough opinion because they're like oh, whatever it's all bollocks anyway. So it was such a an interesting shift to see on the other side of the pond people really going in hard about this stuff. Yeah, well, Americans are we're a breed of our own. Uh... <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do well. Thank you for reading those off, by the way. I really like those. Uh, the taste buds. Um, that list is really impeccable, honestly, because it's a great way of trying to orient other people's other people or your own. I think it's most important mm-hmm. to always judge your own emotions. Um, I think it's secondary to be interpreting other people's emotions outside of a frame of empathy. That's my personal heuristic. Um, yeah, so figure out our own biases before we can even before biases like what what is what emotions is is this eliciting in me right because then those emotions Mm -hmm. are going to be your perspective and how you see the world it may not even be true right like if you're anxious you can see somebody as out to get you when it's like no they were just trying to be charming um you know what i mean (laughs) it it, it colors your perspective it's it's the primer for cognitive for confirmation bias isn't it yeah it is um What's, what's interesting to me, though, as I think about our times, and I think there's this uh, Dan Carlin, the podcaster, has this, has this great series on uh, the World War II, but from the Japanese perspective. It's amazing. And one of the things he has in there is like a truism that I've stolen, like a heuristic, which is, uh, you know, he says that the Japanese are like everybody else at that time, only more so. And I think that that's the case with America, is that we are culturally similar to everybody else because we've exported our culture. Um, only more so um and i think yeah i think one of, it's like turbo yeah exactly version. um including the obesity um but the uh, <laughs> the uh, part of it that i think um you know in this lens is we've kind of shedded religion very quickly um and i i'm not advocating for a religion by any means uh but not having something that you surrender to i think is a I think it's an uncomfortable human need. I think it's an uncomfortable human need to say, like, I have to find some means of believing in the reality around me because part of our intelligence um, is that we can manipulate most of our reality around us. And we're, you know, one of the most, I I think there's, there's this geneticist I was listening to recently and they said that genes aren't code. It's expressions to what is potential in an environment so like um, you're coded in as a lizard to react to things, not to expect things. And what is fascinating about humans is that you can drop us in any environment on the whole of the earth and we'll figure out how to adapt and be there. Um, and I think that, and I personally think that somehow that's tied to religion because we can adapt to everything. We need to have some type of throughput of how to see the world in a way that is, for lack of a better framework, optimistic. Um, or at least like surrendering to something that's greater because of the fact that we actually have so much power of being able to steward or destroy. Um, we can create something, we can create an ecosystem that thrives or we can create an ecosystem that's barren rather fucking quickly, um, because of our desires and our means. Um, and you know, in our current world, um, I think that things have gotten very easy 
Um, I can just get a packaged meal and be done with it. Um, I can get a, I, I can spend $20 on a network Netflix subscription every month. And I know what I'm going to get out of it. I know I'm going to get a base level of monotonous happiness. I can spend a hundred, you know, mm. it's probably $200 now to go to Disney world and I'm going to get $200 <laughs> worth of fun from it. It's a guarantee. Um, you know, and it's, it's like this commodified everything It's commodified emotions, commodified outrage. Um, so I think that that's part of it. And I think another part of it as well is the lack of adversity. I think a lot of people grew up without much adversity or if they did have adversity, they crumbled to it back to kind of that ACE stuff. Um, and that's hard to sit with. Yeah. And when you have this competing thing of, I don't have a means to understand the world around me from a first principle perspective. What's the first thing way I should interpret the situation, development, event, ecosystem, environment, whatever. If you don't have that teamed with, I haven't had enough challenges that I've surmounted to get past this, I think what you end up with is a lot of people who are willing to scream at the wind and a lot of other people who don't have the courage because they don't have the experience of being courageous enough times to stand up and say, you're fucking outrageous. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. And instead they say, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a frightening combination of stuff. And I think you've, you've highlighted the different, um, corners of that very well the there's a book that i'm racking my brain trying to remember the name now something like the fragile mind or the um do you know yeah. what i mean it's about <laughs> wait it's not it's not coddling of the american mind okay. yes yeah jonathan Haidt. yeah okay so yeah similar thing that it's we're at we're at a point where because pleasure is standardized and you can very much live in a, in a extra, you, you could have a fully comfortable life if you wanted to and really minimize your downside, minimize your upside too. Um, but I guess as a result of that, you can, and especially now that, as you say, one of the second order consequences of the internet being into its silos is that we can choose what we want to see and ignore everything that we don't. And I'm guilty of that as well. At the start of this podcast, I said, like, I can't be asked with the arguments and I just block people that are idiots now. You know, if everyone does that, we end up in a situation where actually we make ourselves sensitized and frag too fragile to anything that's um, contrary to our existing view. Now, I'd love you to challenge me on this because I, I, I still don't know whether I'm, you know, falling prey to that same thing or if it's different somehow. I'm convincing myself that it's different, but maybe that's my bias. Um, but we end up in a situation where we we can't handle something that's outside of our kind of defined boundaries. And in the case of, uh, what is it? Nope, it's completely gone. It'll come back to me. <laughs> well, what's, the, what's your point? That you, is it that you're just walling yourself off or? That you're, that you're walling yourself off and oh that this is it so that you we we used to be adaptive and you said that you could drop someone into any place in the world and they would be able to adapt whereas now i was thinking like if you dropped me in marrakesh with no passport and no phone or no cash i'd be screwed like it you know you're thinking well what well, okay what what do you do you try and find the embassy well how do you do that? How do, <laughs> how, how do you get a taxi? We haven't got any cash. I, you know, all these things which like 
even though you it's not like you're in a desert you're in a developed area with with people around you but you know simple things like not being able to speak the language very well or um being in a not having a credit card something like that makes us completely powerless so i don't know what the the solution is, is it, but we're we're you know the combination of we've we've developed in a certain line but that's with that has come a, a cost that we're no longer able to you know i'm pretty sure that if this ukraine thing spreads sp spreads further west then they're gonna they're gonna struggle to recruit a lot of the the young men like no one's no one's equipped or willing to get involved as they maybe would have been 80 years ago yeah i think it'll end up being like world war one and it'll be terrible like world war one the fascinating thing about that to me is that uh casualty numbers of how many times okay the the battle that existed a little east of paris is the one to look at i can't think of it it was like a 48 hour battle and it was huge um the thing to look at that is how many of the french uh soldiers shot their own men um which is not something you would think about and it's because they were trying to desert um they world war one they had terrible time recruiting people no one wanted to join the war it was actually incredibly <laughs> unpopular within their own countries which is a lesson for history of state possibilities when they have mon a monopoly of force um and and it wasn't just the french that were doing this it was everybody um, and, and the Americans didn't need to because we came in late and like we always do, um, wait late and advantageous. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, um, it, it's I study ancient history a lot, and uh, I, I I've been challenging myself lately because I've for a long time I've been like uh, stopping myself from going as deep into it as I want to because I'm like what what virtue, what, what good am I going to get at, like, you know, studying Julius Caesar as much as I want to, like, you know, I, this isn't involved in my career. I should just keep learning other neural nets and things like that. That'll make me like tangible amounts of money or whatever. Um, I think there's, I mean, there's certainly worse ways to certainly. but, but yeah, you, you know, you're right that like, if, if it, we've seen how much of a struggle it was to get people to put a bit of cloth on their face, so to then say, right, you now need to go and shoot and kill other like people that you don't know and go and go to this country and like I just can't I just can't see that happening. Well, it it'll depend on the mind virus that gets spread because it's either going to be no one's going to go or everyone's going to go and yeah. both of those things are terrifying results. And I think that we live in a time where either of those are possible. But I think what's interesting when studying ancient history is what peak civilization looks like. And I'm looking at us more and I'm looking left and right into the Western world. Um, and I'm seeing us more as past peak and what that means. So like if you look at the Roman peak, um, the peak Roman Republic, okay, if you were a male that was born at pretty much any social strata, you were taught certain things. You were taught how to uh, go into a river in the dead of winter, swim for an extended period of time like an hour and a half and survive in freezing cold river water it's below freezing outside get out not die right <laughs> that right there would anyone be able to do that like not many mm -hmm. um and then f learn how to use a javelin and you'd go through a whole series of things of like martial training and then you'd go in a field and you'd work in a field for a while and you tend goats and cattle and all that stuff and you were taught this even if you were you know a senator's son 
or if you were, you know, an artisan or you were, you know, a slave, literally everyone was, Th that's, that's, the standard that's training. what it meant to be. Right. And then when it started becoming an empire and, you know, money was kind of coming in, ease was coming in, things were more available. Well, then that went away because you didn't have to train like that anymore. We, we had people that are hired or become professional soldiers. We don't need everyone to be ready to be a soldier. So then, you know, and then before you know it, um, you know, like late, later Roman empire, it's, it, it, it's, they're, they're doing anything they can to get people to have babies. No one's having babies. Uh, and they're like paying people to do that. Mm. No one really knows how to do anything. And what happens? The barbarians use the roads to be like, oh, this is a highway that I could go to take sack Rome. And they'll just keep sacking Rome because once they get past the, the, you know, the gates, no one's there to actually defend them because no one knows how to do much outside of very specialized domains. Like things like people who specialize in finance start coming in, um, people who are just doing logistics come in, right? And you lose this plethora of all of these different things that you know. I think the paradox of our time is that we have two different groups of people that are emerging. And I can see this in my own life, which is the people, you know, that I would put the camp I would put myself in, which is like, I want to learn how to do everything. I want to learn, I want to learn the basis foundations of how to make myself a well-rounded person in a way. I personally have the uh, luck that I spent a long time being raised by my grandfather, who's like two generations away from me, you know, who grew, was born with on a dirt floor and he just had to know how to do all of these things. Right. So like as a millennial, that's an interesting mm -hmm. perspective because most folks don't have that. Um, but I still see that with like what I was saying, like the regenerative agriculture community, they're very much like, how can I do these seemingly basic things and learn how to survive? And then you also have the other group of people who are the, no, 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 I want, I want to maximize everything. I want a subscription box for my clothes. I want, you know, this complete signed up for life. Um, and outside of most peak civilizations, I think that we have that duality happening. Well, it's really a gradient. It's not a duality. I'm just framing it that way for argument. Mm -hmm. But you, yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, I'm not casting any value judgments on that because I think it's the same as it's, you know, you, you take, you, you pay your money, you take your choice. Like, do you want to invest in government bonds or do you want to do, um, crypto. Know, small, small, small cap? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah crypto. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one, one of them is hedged downside. You, you, you know what you're getting. It's very, you know, you, you, the path has been well-trodden or you take the risk and you, you figure it out yourself. But I guess what you're getting at there is that it introduces a massive amount of fragility um, or put, vulnerability, I should say, is the the main thing that if there is an external shock, we are really going to be screwed and we're going to be repeatedly and repeatedly screwed. Um, you know, when I don't know if you've seen some of these, uh, like th there's there's a certain tone that these are shared on on twitter where like they'll take a, a tiktok of some 20 year old kid dancing um and they go like oh this is what society has become now and yeah it's kind of satirical and i'm sure it's not representative but you see it and you think oh it's a little bit scary because it's getting close to the bone now that if if that becomes the new accepted way to behave and that, or that becomes the only, um, I guess, because it's a, it's a sign, it's a, it's a siren of cultural shift, and 
when you see it, you go, okay, we are heading towards the iceberg and there's no, there's nobody actually heading the ship because the ship is run by an AI um, algorithm optimizing for engagement. Oh, well, here we are. We're heading straight for the, the iceberg. I've just got to sit and have to watch, <laughs> watch as we gradually approach it. It, it, it is. So yes, I think that that's the case. And I think the interesting thing is that's probably been the case for all of civil, so all of civilized time. We're always heading towards an iceberg. I think that the only thing that's unique to our time is the pace. I think the pace is what's unprecedented right now. I'm not sure I would agree, but I'd like to hear what you... Um, okay, so the, the, the fragility to external shocks is the point that I, I, I'll tie it with, right? I think that that's okay. 100% the case, right? So I think for a system, any system, to be sustainable, I think it needs to grow slowly, right? So like if you have if you're a comp- Netflix, I'll use Netflix as an example. Netflix grew ec- grew exponentially by introducing streaming, right? And then they were like, okay, cool, we're gonna make your own movie studio, we're gonna make your own movies. They grew exponentially again. Well, now what's happening? There's a snapback. Other people other people picked up mm-hmm. on their tricks and they're doing it because they grew too fast um, in order to do it. Where if they grew a little bit slower, well then maybe they'd understand like what it takes to make a hit movie before all of a sudden just smattering and throwing us out there. Maybe they'd understand what it takes to build a sustainable streaming platform and they'll do that and be able to handle that user load and so on and so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, with our current society, um, new technologies get introduced, exponentially grow, and we don't have the moral capacity or the societal capacity to contend with those. So that I think that makes us externally vulnerable. If I was to take Rome as an example, right? they were always having barbarians at the gates. I, I've, I've talked about this before. It's funny, but it's true. Uh, I was in a hot tub at a gym once, and this guy, this like older guy, was talking about uh, Alexander Hamilton and uh, how he set up the American economic system to be corporate-based and corporations. And I just like was going to let him go off. But then he said some things, and I was like, that's all wrong. Like, no, None of what you're saying is true. So I had to come in and kind of like lay the smack down a little bit of like, no, you're, you're actually saying things that aren't true. Um, and his response was, are you like a historian? And I was like, no, I don't know. Anything. No, I'm not. I just know Alexander Hamilton really well. And I know ancient Rome. And he was like, uh, have you read Gibbon? Gibbon is this, this guy who wrote The Rise and Fall of uh, Rome. And it's like this like epic thing he wrote in like the late 1800s. Um, and Gibbon's thesis is that Rome fell because of Christianity. And this guy says that, like, do you agree with that? And I go, no, I don't agree with that. I, first off, I think, Christ, I think Christianity was infected by Rome, not the other way around. Um, and I'm surprised that it didn't collapse a thousand times beforehand. Like there, there's like a crisis of the third century that's famous in Rome where there was like multiple, like over the course of 90 years, like there was like three emperors a year or something ridiculous. Like they were just constantly changing hands. Um, I mean, Rome was sacked early on by Gallic people, and there's the whole like uh, death to the or woe to the vanquished, which is essentially like the founding motto of why Rome was so brutal. Which is essentially like they came in, they said we're going to pay you this much gold. You're expecting for more gold. They say whatever. We just conquered you. Give us everything you can. And there's all these other examples of tiny little things that happened that of like the thread of almost collapsing. Like they almost collapsed right here. And there's so many of those examples throughout. And and the fact that they didn't is what's more shocking than the fact that they did. And I, I could say the same thing about mm. the British Empire, right? 
it, there's so many different examples of like where they almost fell right even america like in the course of the you know couple hundred years we've been around and the couple hundred you know almost 100 years that we've been you know 80 years that we've been like the global power multiple points around the way along the way where it was like ah man like we could have really imploded um and i think that yeah. today's society is the same like i think that this type of internal implosion is is something that i would actually say is an inherent feature of civilization full stop you know like think of like was it 1816 the year without a summer or something like that and how much there was a famine within europe because the crops like failed um so I, I think that you know having something that is so interdependent and reliant upon each other which is what civilization is inherently means there's shocks that are possible and like vulnerabilities i think now we're more vulnerable because the pace of those shocks and changes of technology is so much faster right i see so i think uh, yeah I, I would agree that pace is certainly one big factor of it i think there's also qualitatively more risks yes there are more existential risks that we face now that we didn't face before this um and one of the the big ones that i think is heading us towards the iceberg faster and faster is this this ai driven ship that um we no longer have um inert risks that are that are approaching us because the, the, the iceberg in the past the iceberg was over there and it was doing its thing now the iceberg has a mind of its own and it's seeking the ship as well you know because a billboard was the maybe the extent of advertisement a hundred years ago then it became tv ads which are not you know they're still inert but they're um they're a little bit more in depth now they're so customized and so specific to you and i feel like in the next five years it even the the copy and the image and everything will be tailored to you specifically then we're in a situation where actually we have separate realities created for each person it suddenly cuts each person off from living in a connected reality and then we're in a very scary situation because people are completely um, vulnerable because they're now disconnected from what's actually happening in the world plus the fragility the vulnerability that you mentioned as well the fact that we're totally unequipped to deal with any external shock um the fact that everything's plugged into our pleasure sensors and our, our reward circuits i think this is a more of a risk in magnitude as well as pace 100 percent. Yeah, yeah yeah so maybe the way that i can adjust what i said is i think we share the same underlying denominators the same factors that are underlying the fragility is the same as it tends to be and civilizations but the matrix of what comprises each of those vulnerabilities is both increased in magnitude and number right because like like uh, nuclear weapons is like the example it's easiest to go to but something else is also just like the chemicals that we use like you know like we, det mm -hmm. was used constantly in the 70s until they found out like holy shit we're about to exterminate our entire bird population like straight up we're, we're just we're just about to oh, get yeah. rid of birds <laughs> if you don't stop this you know what i mean <laughs> god and it, it, it might, i think i can't even imagine what the this the court the consequences of that right. would be and i guess the human human equivalent is that our sperm count is just tanking and tanking and we keep changing the reference range i, I keep saying oh no this is now normal i um, know <laughs> yeah i know i mean like I, i'm gonna have to go in a few minutes and i wanted to talk about health more so maybe we can talk again sometime about that but like sperm sure. counts and testosterone in men like I, I a year ago i spent about six months like insatiably reading about testosterone because i had no idea 
And what I mean that is like, I just entered a world and I was like, why the fuck wasn't I taught this as like, you know, health 101. Like, hey, mm. you are a man. What is being a man? Well, it means you have testicles. What do testicles do? They produce sperm. What else they produce? What, what helps them produce sperm? Testosterone. That is a fundamental building block of who you are as a being for the rest of your life. And the, the easiest analog I started to download is like, oh my God, testosterone is like nitrous for engines. It like supercharges everything. And the second that that gets, takes a hit and it starts going down, it affects all your body systems because it's affecting all of your body systems. And that shook my reality because I was like, why? well, first off, why isn't this talked about? And second off, testosterone rates in men in the Western world is going, it's, it's inverting. And, and, it, yeah. and plastics have a lot to do with it, which is insane. And then like what that's doing for generations down the line because of being born with essentially low testosterone and, and because of like phthalates and other things in plastics, it's, it's an innumerable amount of factors that we're facing really. Yeah. It's, it's a real, it's a concern for me from an existential level, but also on a personal level, because I'm spending so much of my energy trying to optimize and squeeze out the final couple of nanomoles of, <laughs> of testosterone myself because I'm trying to gain muscle and trying to lose fat, trying to optimize my performance. And it just feels like you've got all these like saboteurs that are trying to ruin it for you. Food processing, the um, cosmetics, plastics, storage, fragrance devices, um, everything seems to be conspiring receipts, carpets, polyethylene, um, containers, you know, it literally like it's, it's so ubiquitous. And I guess something you mentioned a bit earlier that there is a, that I, I actually feel now that, um, it is, it's no longer just something that we've stumbled on and we're like, Oh shit, there's a, it's causing a problem. I think the data is now so insurmountable. It's so clear and unequivocal that this is causing a problem but somehow industries managed to muscle their way through and just go ah oh, don't worry guys like you can you can ignore it it might act and and um look like estrogen and it might act on the receptor but no no don't worry it's not causing any health problems and i don't know at what point it's gonna like it, maybe we're gonna have to get to the point of no return where we actually become infertile for them to go, whoops, uh, <laughs> maybe that was us. I, I don't even know if they'll do it then. I think they'll just be like, uh, <laughs> whoops, we have a salt. We have the solution to it. <laughs> you know, like, no, well, yeah. Um, I did, I don't know if you've seen, but I, I did a uh, self experiment. I took a blood test 12 weeks apart and eliminated so as many sources of artificial estrogen as I could from my, from my life. Hmm. And I did see a change in, uh, in my blood levels um, not just in free testosterone, but in, um, SHBG and estrogen levels. And my testosterone went from below the clinical level for a 70 year old man to the kind of mid to low end of the, um, of the range. So it wasn't, wasn't dramatic, but it went from subnormal to normal. And then I've had another couple of blood tests a couple of years later, having maintained those, those behaviors. And now it's at the high end of normal. So Obviously, it's only four blood tests. I can't say for sure whether, you know, one thing caused the other. But I've made no other real changes to my my lifestyle. And um, it's good to know that currently there are still things you can do to avoid it. Some quite simple ones, you know, stop microwaving plastic, stop 
using why do we need apple blossom scented dishes mm -hmm. you know we don't need fragranced washing up liquid like they just bang flavoring parfum into everything looking out for ingredients things that say parfum fragrance these are catch-all terms that they use to hide the nastier compounds under and they say proprietary blend so that they hide behind the kind of um corporate competitive uh anti-competitive thing but really it's just so that they can uh it it winds me up it really does Dude, I'm, I'm right there with you um especially because of it, it seems all-consuming just because you know like uh i don't i don't experience anxiety very often it's just like not an emotion that i tend to get um but if i go into what like a drugstore i get it really bad and it's like borderline panic attack because the second i step in there like so like i don't you know like my wife and i uh are pretty you would think we were hippies let me put it that way but we're not right so like we we eat like mm -hmm. pretty much whole foods everything everything is like we're you know starting it from scratch we eat a lot of uh uh, we switched from from being plant based, and now we eat a lot of grass fed beef, which is hilarious, if you ask me, because uh, we're kind of yes. like on the other end of the spectrum now. Um, but we, you know, like we don't use any like perf you know perfumes or colognes or you know like our our soaps like may have scents to them, but it's like essential oils, you know, and it's not like the, the chemical compounds. And now that I've noticed that we've been doing this for several years, I'll walk into like a Walgreens, and the second I walk in, the smell is overwhelming. And it gives yeah, me a it's headache. crazy how, yeah. <laughs> and, and my heart rate will just shoot up, and it's it's like it, it so like even just smelling it, my heart rate starts going. And then I walk through the aisles, and it's just like stacked upon stacked upon stacked upon stacked of things that I would never consider buying anymore, because it's like this isn't this the, has no value. The problem is like there's not just the scent, but there's the additives to make the scent carry further right. to give it an extra thirty centimeters of 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 reach. There's the propylene glycol to help you absorb it into the skin. And, you know, there are, the hormones are fat soluble. They are designed to be absorbed through the skin. You can wear estrogen patches. You can apply testosterone gel into your skin and it'll be absorbed. So the, the delivery mechanism is there. And you imagine you've got a compound that is replicating estrogen in the body and you can, you're applying it in your cosmetics transdermally with propylene glycol it's going to affect your serum levels. We've seen the data for that. We've seen even the data from wearing clothes that have been washed with scented detergents will affect your blood estrogen levels. Like, I sound like I'm being paranoid, but it, the effect is so profound. And f to make for the sake of making little substitutions, it, it totally makes sense. Yeah, and it's, it, it's, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this uh, as a means of setting this up. Uh, do you know who Joseph Goebbels is? <laughs> it's a hell of a segue. The, what, the, uh, the Nazi? Yeah, 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 the yeah. Nazi. Yeah, so he was a Just Nazi. Just checking he's not like a modern podcaster or something. Like... No, that'd be hilarious. No, that'd be a terrible <laughs> name for him. I would have to, cha you have to change your name. It's like being Jeffrey Dahmer or something. Um, no, so he was the propaganda minister for Hitler, right? And he has this idea, um, which is scary because I think it's what's being employed across the board now. Um which is a really just a plug for how much Nazi science is everywhere. We don't realize it, which is also kind of scary. But anyways, uh, <laughs> that's a funny one anyways. Yeah. Uh, so he had this idea of propaganda, and his idea of propaganda was the opposite of Mussolini's. So Mussolini was, I'm going to have a ministry of truth, and I'm going to say what you can and cannot say. Now, the Nazis did that, for sure, but their means, their main action was to flood what is available. 
So instead of trying to focus on diminishing what is being talked about, I'm instead going to just flood it with other things. Just irrelevant so, like, things. Irrelevant things or just like different talking points, right? So like you're saying, like I sound like I'm uh, you know, overreacting or I sound like I'm, you know, tinfoil hat. And the reason that you feel that way is because of how much the waterfall of information that makes it seem normal. And you you don't it doesn't even have to be like saying scented detergent is good. It could even just be advertising scented detergent enough times through enough different various mediums of getting to you that you don't even think to question it because it's like rope it open you. It's like look over here, look over here, look over here. Don't look at my other hand, it's gonna hit you in the face. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's it's a I, I'm I'm gonna have to read some of these uh some of these recommendations from you, man, because it's a lot more insidious than than I once thought. And I always um I always kind of rely on the, the defense mechanism of, oh well I'm I'm a doctor. I don't know about this uh this political stuff, but I think it's starting to integrate and connect so much that um I need to see how history is repeating itself. Yeah. It uh well, I would love to keep talking with you about that because I wanted to talk to you about, like, most particularly, I wanted to ask you about testosterone and, uh, like, uh, things like that, like fitness and all of that, because I think that that's um, fascinating um, and also something that I think there's, like, a real movement of people trying to get, like, peak sapien. Become, that's the way that I like to think of yeah. it, so I want to be the, the peak homo, homo sapien. Um and I, and I think that that's amazing. And I think a lot of what you've been doing with, with propane, I was looking at you guys, like, I think it's really cool. Um, I want fun. to hear more about your story too, of how you went to be a doctor in order to do that. That's really fascinating to me. Yeah, well, f for sure. If, uh, if if this was valuable to people listening, please get in touch with John. Happy to come back for a round two and we can do a uh, an optimization one. Um, if if people have any specific questions as well, happy to to field them too. Excellent. Yeah, I'll I'll put that out to the, the newsletter and we can uh, we can make that happen. Well, uh, we can wrap in a second, but before then, thank you very much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. For sure, man. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Cool. Do you stop the recording? So Do I stop the recording?